This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in Asia Torah in the old city of Jerusalem overlooking the Temple Mount right outside that window. And uh, I was just talking about a couple things before we begin. A um, couple subjects I want to mention. One is, uh, um, my name My name is not Ken Spiro, by the way. Um, Uh, one is, uh, we're going to talk about parenting a little bit, just for fun. Parenting, then forgiveness. But today's lecture is actually based on vibrational energy. So what I was saying before is that is that girls come out really well, unless you're a horrific parent. And there are horrific parents out there. So, so there are plenty of situations where girls... You know, I had pretty rough upbringings, especially teenage, you know, insane behavior. Also, if you don't mind pressing share on, on these, um, if you also, uh, any of you, I'm on Facebook Live every day, pretty much, and it's uh, on Rabbi Yom Tov, and uh, please share it out there. If you're watching this, please share it. And... Um, and the other thing I want to say was I'm running a women's seminar uh, for people who are psychologically stable starting on the 1st of Elul for women, uh, English-speaking women's seminar. I run it about twice a year. So if you're hearing me say this right now, you should be seriously considering this and going online to see if it's for you. Um, it requires psychological stability and emotional maturity. So, so if you're a young 18-year-old, it's not for you. Uh, the... You'd have to be a really mature 18-year-old to be in such a situation, uh, or even a really mature 20-year-old. Now, the um, uh, that's going on uh, soon, Rosh Chodesh Elul. Um, in October, we're going to have men's seminars here in Jerusalem. And then November, we'll be in New York, uh, running seminars in New York and personal transformation. And what you'd want to look up is thepossibleyou.org, thepossibleyou.org. And I'm also starting live webinars uh, in the next couple weeks, like two, three weeks. I'm going to be doing live webinars, like three-hour live webinars with full multimedia, like we're all going to be on the same screen together. So anyone who's interested in that should definitely let us know your interest, but we'll be putting the word out for sure. And um, I'm just saying hi to Jack and Andrew, who are my very faithful watchers. You have to understand, no one's watching now. It's 8 in the morning in New York. Like, who in the world on a Sunday morning is... First of all, what are you guys doing up, first of all? I think Jack's in Israel right now. But Andrew's in Toronto. What are you doing up at 8 in the morning, Andrew? But he's a fireman, so maybe it makes sense. And uh, in California, it's 5 in the morning, so forget about that. But throughout the day, they add and add and add. We get to about... By the end of the day, we get to about 300... But if it's a really good class, I boost it for 100 shekels, and it goes to like six, seven. Now we're getting like six, 7,000 in the last couple of weeks. I don't know why, but it's just getting popular. So, But I have to boost it, otherwise it doesn't work. Okay, um, anyway, so parenting girls, unless you're a lousy parent, your girls should come out okay. But boys are, parenting boys, boys are a wild card. And here's the crazy thing. If you're a really good parent, your boys come out okay. So they sometimes come out. Uh, they sometimes come out 
meaning they'll come out like good boys, but they may not be very alive. Meaning, meaning they're they're kind of neutered and fearful, and don't know how to don't know how to push limits, and don't know how to deal with chaos. And, in which is growth. Remember, chaos is where you grow. You never grow from order. Order will never help you grow. It stabilizes you, so you can go to your next level of growth, which will be a chaotic moment. You know, which hopefully was self-imposed for those into growth. But for the rest of you, God has a way of throwing curveballs and making your life full of chaos, so that you'll grow. And the uh, but uh, but some of us who are into growth. We'll actually put ourselves in the line of fire of growth. This is part of the phenomenon of people staying single for so long. You know that they, like people stay single in their thirties these days, secular people at least, and they. Uh, it's because it's so chaotic to like completely bind your life to another human being. I mean, you can barely take care of yourself. You know, you're going to add someone else to the equation. You know, it's like this recipe is already complicated. You know, like I'm not going to combine two recipes in one uh, concoction. But it gets chaotic, and you grow a ton as a result. It's the best thing for you. It's the best thing you can do is to get married. And for those who are waiting to be ready, bad idea. You'll never get ready. You know, that's, that's, a perfect, that's the perfect storm to like make sure you never get ready. Like it, those people who say they're going to wait till they're ready. Now, by the way, I'm not talking about my son who's 15 over here. He should wait till he's ready. I'm talking about, uh, I'm talking about everyone else in this room. You know, you're waiting to get ready is really something you probably should be looking into. Is it might be another way of saying how long could I put this off? Because I don't want to deal with it. And the uh, but the you don't want to play that game. That is a dangerous game because this if you miss the ready mark, if you miss the ready mark because you were so busy getting ready and you miss the ready mark, suddenly you're on the other side of the dating pool. That's not the side you want to be on. Yeah, you don't want to be on the other side. The other side's a very lonely and sad and difficult place. You know, very difficult place. That's why you see all the nail marks on the coattail from people clawing, clawing, trying to claw through to God. You know, because they they started dating on the other side of the of the of the, the wave. You, know, you want to ride the front of the wave, and and don't worry any growth you need. When in marriage, there'll be nothing like marriage to help you grow. You know, like if you think, oh, I got to grow till I'm married, you know, marriage puts it on turbo. You get married, you'll, you'll be growing. If you stay single, you won't be growing that much. Because staying single is the best way to not grow because it's just the ultimate com- comfort zone. And you better be careful of that. Be careful. Sorry about that, everybody. Just put my phone on do not disturb here. Anyway, yeah, you don't want to be watching YouTube instead of going to work. So, so just get married. And, uh, now, uh, anyway, that was about parenting. Oh, so the good thing with boys is to allow them their nature, allow them their nature, which is pretty wild. They're wild cards. They're jokers, and uh, and that way they're they're they keep their power. They've pushed limits. They've 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 danced in the chaos. They've reeled back into order. They've come back out to chaos. They've tested everything. You know, let those boys test it. And, uh, I mean, obviously you need strong boundaries, because if you don't have strong boundaries also, you're going to 
That's, that's another destruction. Meaning there's too much order, and then there's too much chaos. So yeah, I'll tell you what both do. Too much order causes, obviously, it neuters. It, it takes away their... their um, it makes the world out there just the other and, and causes them to stop themselves way before they were ever supposed to stop. Meaning we all put on the brakes in certain situations, social, professional... Uh, you know, adventure type things that we're supposed to be doing. You know, we all put on the brakes probably way too early. All of us are putting on the brakes too early. I mean, that feeling like I don't want to go to that wedding reception is just your break. Those are your brakes. You know, and uh, and so we all put on the brakes too early. But one way to get your children to be born holding the brakes. You ever tried driving a car while holding the brakes? You ever tried driving a car with the emergency brake on? It's not a it's not a great thing. So the brakes are, like, you're either on the gas or you're on the brakes. But driving with the brakes, which you all know what I'm talking about because you're all doing it, is driving with the brakes on. It's just not the way to drive. And it's also very, very filled with jealousy because you see that it's so obvious that people are not driving with their brakes on. And you get jealous. Like, how come, how come they're so comfortable putting themselves out there like that in business and school and... and uh, other challenges and socially like why do they not have the brakes on and and it might be worth actually asking them that you know like pull them aside and say you don't seem to have brakes and they'll say I have brakes but I've been working on it well what'd you do what'd you do to get take your brakes off because uh, I want some of that too you know because you don't seem afraid you're not you don't seem to be anxious there's no anxiety you seem pretty happy and relaxed so those are the kind of people you don't want to just ask jealously in your heart. You want to actually get your mouth moving and go interview them. And they'd probably love to talk about it. People love talking about themselves. So they'd probably be more than happy to share with you what they had to do to get their brakes off while they're trying to drive their cars. Anyway, that's the problem with order. Is that people put on the brakes way too early. You mean your children put on the brakes way too early. The other side is over-chaosing your children. Overcasting with your children means don't make any boundaries, don't make any rules, don't make any, or, may, or the rules don't mean anything, meaning a lot of parents have rules. You know, you're a parent, you've got to make rules. But the problem is when the kids break the rules, what happens? Nada, nothing. So is that a rule? Is it a rule that doesn't have consequences? Can it be called a rule? Would you call that a rule? That's not a rule. So that's the same as no rules. Rules without consequences is no rules. And what happens is that causes a whole other thing and what it does is it causes the child to feel unsafe in general because the formation of boundary is really important in human psyche. Human psyche needs a sense of edge. We need an edge to things. Um, but a natural and normal edge to things. We need that boundary. And boundaryless parents, uh, parents who aren't creating those boundaries for their children, uh, wind up in, uh, with children who... Are, uh, they usually have one or two things. They're either going to be a fight or flight. So the flight is that they're just scared all the time because they just don't know what's coming. And then the flight is you wind up with daredevils because they're just ser- they're going to find the boundary. They're just searching for the boundary. They're going to be riding the 50-foot waves. They're going to be scaling uh, skyscrapers. They're going to be bungee jumping, and they're going to just spend their life pushing the limits to see if there's any edge. Well, is there an edge? Is there any real edge out there? I mean, eventually, I guess a guy could wind up hitting some peak on it in his flight suit. But as long as he doesn't hit the peak in the flight suit, he's going to make it. 
time and time and time again, and so he'll never learn the edge. But he will always push the limits, which may mean pushing their spouse's limits over and over again, which might mean not so good. And then, then of course, pushing their kids' limits way before they're ready. You know, throwing their kids into the into the things they're just not prepared for because this person's worldview is <laughs> you can't, you can't get hurt. You know, and God's God's partially at fault for this because if you're supposed to live, you're gonna. You know, like, it doesn't matter what happens. Like, you can literally be flipping in a car, and I bless you not to be, but a person could be flipping in a car, like, like 50 flips down a canyon, and walk out unscratched if you're not supposed to die or get scratched. Because God's, think about it, even though it looks like the car is careening down the canyon, flipping 50 times, it's, nothing happens outside God's control. I mean, it's not like, for example, when I drop this pen from here to here, so you're all thinking that gravity's pulling the pen down. Like it, the only the only actual action was me letting go, and then the rest was you know consequential. But it's not true. What's really going on is that the pen, as well as you, as well as this room and everything, is being recreated a million times a second, uh, way beyond our ability to see it. And in every position, it's coming down. So if you're not going to be dying in some horrific car crash, you're not going to die no matter what. And and we all get to see those stories once in a while. They have specialty stories on the news, you know, of some freaky thing that happened. The guy just walked away, you know. I had one I saved, but I don't know where it is. Of a, Someone tried to kill themselves, and they put a bullet, you know, right through their head. And, and the x-rays, it came out the other side. The x-rays showed how the bullet just, like, perfectly missed every important part. It just went out the other side. The guy was like, I can't do anything right. You know, and you know, went to the hospital for the bleeding, you know, and they, they just say, nah, we've never seen anything like this, you know. It just danced between the raindrops, you know. So the guy figured, uh, guess I'm supposed to live. And there's lots of crazy stories like this. Parachute doesn't open and they, you know, they break a leg. And the next thing I want to mention was... Uh, forgiving is uh, we were doing a class on Thursday about forgiving and at one point I said you know you really can't give till you forgive and my wife was here and someone else noticed like they both raised their head and looked at each other like forgiving I I didn't get it I missed it I said you can't really give until you forgive so think of the term forgiving what's forgiving for it's forgiving Forgiving. What's the connection? So, no, you know what it means, forgiving? Like, limchol, to be mochel somebody? Yeah? So, think about the word in English, so cool. It means forgiving. Tell me, someone you're angry at, you want to give them anything? No, but what about if you the, the person asked mechila, and they cried, and they said, please forgive me, and you forgive them? Yeah? And now you're good, now you're friends again, and everything's great, and you love them over again. You're all over, you know, you love them again. And then they ask you, can they have one of your candies? You have a bag of candies, would you give them? I don't think, yes, I don't think You have a lot of candies, and he's your good friend, and you just forgave him. 
and he asked you for a candy. Let's say he asked you for the candy the next day because maybe he's just asking forgiveness because he wants some candy. Do you guys mind being on live live screen for this? Do you want? No, you don't want. What do you say, sir? Do you share candies with your friend? Men is when. How about the times you do? The times you do do? I do. Yes. And if someone, if someone, if you forgave one of them and it was a time you do, would you give them one? If it was a time I do, yes. Oh, gee, that was, that took a while. Okay, so we got it. You would. <laughs> I'm going to share with you just something uh, deeply. When a husband and wife love each other and create, you know, that nuclear, that nucleus to the family, they, uh, and so what happens is a lot of giving going on between the parents and the kids. First of all, parents to each other, a lot of giving. Kids are born, a lot of giving, 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 giving. Why are you giving to all these people? Like, you're not giving the neighbor. You may give to the neighbor like a cup of milk, <laughs> maybe some sugar, but you're not giving like that. Why are you suddenly giving like that? Oh, yeah. So that I've, uh... So, I should have ordered some steaks. Now, we just got our water. Anyway, a lot of giving. You're not giving a neighbor like that. You're not giving to random strangers like that. Why are you giving to these people like that? The answer is because you what? You love them. You love them. Like if my kids had any doubt of my love for them, they would notice that I'm not giving other kids like I give them. You know? Now the reason is because we love them. When you get hurt by somebody, you give, you don't give. You're done giving. Shut off, shut the tap on the giving. So giving and love are very connected. When you love someone, you give to them. And when you're upset with somebody, you're holding a grudge, or you're resentful in any way, you just stop giving. But when you forgive them, it's forgiving. You are now giving again. You can give again. How important is giving? And the answer is, like, extremely important. But I'm not going to do a class on that. I'm doing a class on vibrational uh, vibrational energy. God creates the world with what's called the or ein sof, the infinite light. Or literally means light. Ain means not. Sof, end. Endless. Endless light. Or the eternal light. So God creates the world with this light. Now, what happens if something's made of light? What's it made of? Light. Meaning, can God ever create a world that God is not? Can God create something that he is not? Can he? If he creates the world, remember, there's no Home Depot in heaven. Like, he can't, he's not going shopping to create the world. He's creating the world out of himself. 
he, he's shining light. Well, whose light is that? That's his light. So anything he makes, he is. Yet all of us seem to be in this room independently. We all feel a sense of independence of God because we're all sitting here independently of God. Like, aren't I separate than God? But made of his light, yeah. I'm made of his light, but I sense a separation from that light. So how do we have this physical world? And the answer is that the the physical world moves, the, the light gets filtered out via what are called olamot or olamos. And God filters his light through these olamas. These olamas are also made of God. But he filters the light and filters and filters and filters till there's less and less and less and less and less. And when there's finally so little light left, finally there is the physical world. We are at the other end of a lot of filtering of light. So I'll show you, for example, on the board here. Got a nice light up there. I might ask you to hit the light switch in a minute, so locate it, please. It's the top switch of that lower panel. See that button? Top switch? Yeah, don't hit it now. Okay, so hit that when you're ready. When I'm ready. When I cue you. Okay, so you see the light on the board? Now, I'm going to filter out the light. You ready? What do you see now? You see my fingers. So I filtered out the light. You see that? So this image here is made of filtered light. So we, are, we have a direct example of how light filtered can create an image. Now, our image is a lot more sophisticated because this, this is a 2D image. Now, you would say I've removed the light, and that's why there's the image, right? Because I've removed some light. That shadow is the absence of light, which is pretty interesting. Is it made of the light, too? Is the shadow made of the light? Or is it the absence of the light? Well, let's do an experiment. What happens when we remove the light, but I keep my fingers there? Go ahead. Watch the board. Which is pretty interesting. Now, it makes total sense. We all understand logically. We <laughs> turn off the light so there's not going to be a shadow. And that's not a, that's not a big brainer. But, but you start to realize that the light has a lot to do with the shadow. And the shadow has a lot to do with light. Go ahead, turn it back on. Our world, our physical world, is where there's an absence of light. Now, I'm going to ask my eight-year-old a question that I don't think I've ever asked him before, because, whatever, I'm falling on the job. You know, I've, his older siblings, for sure, would know the answer to this, but I'll just see if he can pull it out of the air. When, uh, when Moses, Moshe, stood on the Mount Sinai, and he said, he asked God if he could see him, and and God said, "No man can see me and live. No man can see me and live. Why if why did he say that? Why can't Moshe? Why if Moshe saw God, he wouldn't be able to live? Why can't he live if he sees God?" If you don't know the answer, that's fine. Yeah, I don't want you to make something up. I don't want you guessing. We'll go, we'll go to your brother. Moshe? I'm not sure, but I think I know. Maybe it's because 
Moshe is, I mean, our world is the kind of the Can shadow. we film you for this, please? What? Can we film okay. you? Okay. It's really, you want, you're okay being in the video with Moshe? He doesn't seem to mind. Okay, guys, listen up, because he's got the answer. I can tell he's got it. Go ahead. I think the answer is that that our physical world, because it's like the shadow of the light that God is sending down to us, if he would see God, which is the light without any straining, he himself, he would, the whole, uh, he's not there anymore because there's nothing blocking the light. Very nice. Very nice. Let's hear it for the 15-year-old Kabbalist. You understood the answer? And if I can put that in other words, just to like really drive it home for all of us, you ready for this? Listen carefully. You exist. You only exist right now in this room. You only exist in the absence of God, so to speak. Meaning God pulling away something so you can be here. Now, it's funny is some of you kind of complain in your heart. You're like, if I could see you, God, I would like be much more close. You know, I'd do more for you. I would keep more mitzvahs. Like, if you'd make yourself a little more obvious, I'd keep Shabbat. You know, like, you know, like God, make yourself a little more obvious, you know. And now, based on this perspective, do you want God to be more obvious? No, thank you. You stay right where you are. You know, we'll be doing Shabbat without any, uh, any more obvious. Because God making himself any more obvious would, have, would, would majorly compromise your existence. You get that? And it would also majorly compromise your free will. Like, let's say you only let a little more in. A little more in. Like, like, um, like you can just kind of see everything translucent. Like, you see the light of God. You still see a table. You know, you still see walls. But they're just kind of translucent because they've got that, that glow of the, the divine, you know, like coming through them. You know, and you're, now you're going to go eat pig? Now you're going to go, now you're going to break Shabbat? You know what I mean? It's like, you lost your free will. Gone. Like, if God just changed the settings a little bit, gone. No more free will. God set up the settings really well in this world. Now, yeah, he allows miracles here and there, and I'm sure he's saved you a couple times that you probably had no idea that you were being saved. But you've probably been saved a couple times. You might remember a few of those moments. You know, I've, I've had several moments where, you know, just a, a millimeter forward, I would have been part of that horrific situation. And thank God it just flew right by me and, and someone else was in that horrific situation. But the, 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 um, the settings are set up specifically for our free will and also for your existence, but Meaning, if God really put it through, you wouldn't exist. But since he sends out this amount of light, so you exist with free will. And so you can make choices. You can live a powerful life, because otherwise you'd be like a zombie. You know? Choice. Power. Meaning. It's all, all connected. Now... I just want to mention one more thing on that, and that's the word world. How do you say world in Hebrew? Huh? Olam. olam. The word olam means, it's that, the root is ayin lamed mem, olam, or olam. And what is the word for hidden in Hebrew? Nelam. What's the root? 
Ayin, Lam, and Mem. It's the same exact root. Well, isn't that interesting? The word for world is the same word for hidden. What's the connection? You getting it? We remember the board with the white me hiding light so you could see the image? The word for world is the same word for hidden. It's olam. In other words, Hebrew points directly at reality. It always does. That's the beauty of knowing Hebrew. It's the only reason there's a world is because God's hiding. That is the thickest smartphone I've ever seen. Is it a dictionary? Uh huh. It's written without which text? You got it's, it? Um, Shemot uh, 15. Uh, 3 for 15. What's it say? It's saying, um, um, about, and God said, Pray to the Lord, the God of your, your fathers, the God of Abram, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This shall be my name. This shall be my name forever. This is my application for all eternity. <laughs> so there's, uh, I wasn't going to bring up the third thing, but let's all listen to it now. The word forever is the word olam, which is pretty interesting too. So it's the word wor- It's the word hidden. It's the word, what's that? No, no, right. It's the word hidden. It's the word world. And it's the word eternity. What's it mean, Alma? Oh, really? With an ayin? I think so. Is Alma with an Allah? No, Alma is with an uh, It's more of a Hebrew word. It doesn't, you can't see in Lashon HaKodesh. Really? Yeah. It's not Lash, it might not be Lashon HaKodesh. It's not Lashon HaKodesh. Oh, it's not. <laughs> we got the expert here. <laughs> it could be it's Aramaic. Yeah, it sounds like Aramaic, but I don't remember it. Yeah. Check it out, man. You got a much thinner p- smartphone. I thought you were pulling out a dictionary. And I'm like, when's the last time anyone used a dictionary? <laughs> you know, that's like a shopping center. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing how small they've made shopping centers. <laughs> I wonder if makeup companies... I wonder if makeup companies have been hurt by this. You know, we all know shopping centers are like going the way of the dodo because like, why would you ever go to a shopping center? So if people stop going to shopping centers, that means they, they, they're using a lot less of what you have to wear to go to a shopping center. You understand, a, a woman going to... Sh- Anyone have sisters here? Anyone have sisters, men and sisters? I mean, do you do anything differently that you're going to a shopping center? <laughs> Does anything change at all? <laughs> Nothing changes except you may have to put your car key in your pocket because you don't want to get your car, you don't have the key. But if you have the key already in pocket, nothing changes. Yeah, anything changes for you going to a shopping center? Nothing. <laughs> Ladies, anything changed for you to go to a shopping center? <laughs> oh my God, it's so funny. In my house, I have five daughters. And they and bli ein hara baruch Hashem. So when when we're going to the shopping center, they all run to change. <laughs> they have to go change for the shopping center. I'm like, what's going on here? 
And if you have clothes to change them, why are we going to the shopping center? Mexicans call it a chopping center. That's what happens to your finances. They get chopped. Chopping center. They drive a Chevy. We met a guy. We, <laughs> we met a guy in Santa Barbara when I lived in Santa Barbara for five years, and this Mexican guy came to party. And like Santa Barbara is a total party town, so this Mexican guy came up to Santa Barbara to party for like half a year. I mean, he we were like, "When are you going home?" You know, he's on our couch for like months. Like, you know, he's just the coolest guy ever. So like, we could not eject him, but boy, did we want to at times. And um, and the. Uh, so his name was Justo. Justo, I don't even know what it stands for. It's Spanish, begins with a J, Justo. So the first night, he, what? Righteous. Uh, righteous, you know Spanish? Yeah. So the first night, he was at our party, and, I, and I'm introducing him to our new Mexican friend, you know. And so we, my, the first guy I introduced him to, I said, this is my, my friend, Justo Machebi. And they're like, Justo Machebi, okay? And from the rest of the year, he was known as Justo Machebi. Which is basically means who stole my Chevy? Yeah, in Spanish, uh, who stole my Chevy? <laughs> yeah, in, in Ishayahu seven. Uh, oh 14, yes. What? Ishayahu seven fourteen. Kineh Allah Halal Yes. Come on, give it up. With an with an iron, right? Nice. I love it, You nailed it. Amazing. So, so what's the connection? It's the same word for young lady, like a maiden type thing. Alma means like a maiden. I got a couple of hints, a couple of things. Number one is women do have a timelessness about them as far as uh, long-term vision. You'll notice throughout Tanakh, like women are kind of got the long-term vision. They got this kind of let's let's look at the eternity aspect here. It'd be like uh, it'd be like Miriam telling Amram, her father, who divorced he divorced Yocheved because the you know the babies were getting thrown in the Nile, and so he just said that's it, no more babies. Like he divorced her. It's a little strange. Like why do you have to divorce her? But whatever, he divorced her, and. Um, and also, the Medrash says that all the men divorced their wives. When they saw the leader of the generation divorce his wives, so they were like, okay, you know, the Rebbe divorced his wife, we're divorcing our wives. So everyone got divorced. And, uh, and then Miriam came and started, like, attacking her father over this. And she said, you're worse than Pharaoh. Pharaoh only... D- d- only uh, decreed against the... Boys, you decreed against the boys and the girls. Pharaoh may get away with this and may not because maybe someone would hide a child like Moshe. And you, it's, it's glad, you know, there's no one's going to be born. Pharaoh, what was the third one? Pharaoh, oh, I forget the third one. She gives a third one too. But with you, and I forget what the third one was. Anyway, she really hassled him. And he came back to Yocheved and Moshe. Moshe, guess what? She didn't conceive Moshe. 
she was pregnant with Moshe and didn't know it. During that whole time, Moshe, she was already pregnant with Moshe. Now, you know what's cool about that? Raise your hand if you know what's cool about that. What's cool about that? What's cool about that is that when they, when they got married, remarried, meaning he remarried his wife, so, and the Egyptians saw she was pregnant because they were keeping track of everybody. They, they um, came three months late. He was born, Moses was born in the, sixth, in the sixth month. It wasn't really the sixth month, though. It was, you understand, they came three months later to get Moses uh, for the birth. She was hiding out. And so they came, and Moses was already weaned. I mean, not weaned, but he would, like, three months of breastfeeding and was, like, doing strong, going strong. And, and that, was when, uh, that was when he got put in the Nile. So it's uh, it was it's pretty cool uh, how the whole story worked out. But she was already pregnant with Moses for that. And um, anyway, so that was one thing: is knowing the eternity of things. Like women, girls know the eternity. And perhaps the other one is that girls are supposed to stay hidden. Meaning, I know the billboards make you think you're supposed to be like out there, but the Torah tells us kol. That the, all the glory of a woman is internal. The, sorry, the daughter of the king. No one gets to see the daughter of the king much. You know, like she's the daughter of the king. Like that's not available for everyone's eyes. And so, so every Jewish girl sees herself as the daughter of the king. And if you're the daughter of the king, that highly impacts how you show up, whether it be, you know what you're wearing, whether it be uh, how extroverted you're going to be in a public situation. It has to do with perhaps singing, you know, it, it's uh, dancing, you know, it's, it's having an, in, really being internally connected and less, you know, showing up in everyone's, you know, in the forefront of everyone's minds and eyes and imaginations and fantasies. And the, uh, so that's... Uh, Maybe that's the connection of a girl. And was this considered a good girl, this one in your show? Yeah. Yeah. Who was it? Uh, I think the wife of uh, the wife of the king. I mean, she gave birth to Emmanuel, who was the hope of Israel. Who was the hope of Israel? I think so. Mm-hmm. So she was. She went up the wife of the king. She was the wife. Of the king. Yeah. So. Yeah. Who was the king in your show, too? Interesting. Okay, and um, just to tell you, because I rarely ever quote that Pasukok Voda Basamelech Panima, which is Tehillim. And there's one interesting thing is that hundreds of years ago there was a great Kabbalist called the Karmana, and he wrote a perush, Kabbalistic perush on all of Torah and Tanakh, like it's massive, and he writes a lot. He's prolific, so like every Pasuk gets a lot of writing. And the, except there was always this one pasuk, that the, all the glory of the daughter of the king is within, is, um, you know what it gets? No, uh, the Karmana Rebbe. You know what it gets there? All that's written there, it's crazy, it's freaked out, but all that's written there is Taf Shin Samech Hey. Pretty sure that's the year. Tav Shin Samach is written. Oh, he writes, sorry, two words. Shnat 
Taf Shin Samachay, the year 5765. So 57, yeah, 65. That's right. It might have been Tafshin Ayanhe. It's 5775, I think. Where are we right now? 5775. That was the year that a rabbi was in India and saw that Indian women were going to idolatry temples. And they were very, very poor women. So what could they offer their gods except their hair? And so they would grow their hair really long, and then they would cut off their hair, and they would bring it to the priests to be offered by the priests. The priests would take the hair... And then immediately sell it. And who, what community in the world is using wigs at this point in history? And the answer is ours. You know, besides cancer patients, it goes to very observant, you know, women, especially Ashkenazic women. And so that all that beautiful Indian hair was going to the, you know, the observant community. And word gets back to Israel that all these women are wearing idolatry on their heads. Now, what happened then is that, you know, these are holy women. They may have, you know, it's a discussion how holy it is to be going around with hair that's nicer than your natural hair and obviously causing lots of attention and arousal in in all the men that see it. But, um, and not to mention marital issues with the neighbor, you know, I'm sorry. Meaning the, meaning the neighbor, when, when he comes home to his wife and his wife's not as pretty as you. That's what I meant. That's, I didn't mean anything more than that. But you know, I hope. But, you know, like, how would you like to have your husband come home and be disappointed because when he parked his, his you know, his Honda Odyssey, you know, your next door neighbor's flaunting her, uh, you know, $3,000... Uh, hairpiece and you know fancy outfit you know and uh and your your husband just happened to get home that time you cooked him a great meal and he just seems a little distant you know and so so whatever the so but these women are holy and you know what they did they took their wigs you ready for this this was the smelliest time to ever be in an observant community they took their wigs and burned them because anything that was used for idolatry has to be burned. You can't imagine what Jerusalem smelled like. My, our neighborhood too. I don't know. You were too young for this, but they, our neighborhood had maduras. Still not. Our neighborhood had maduras, and women were throwing their sheitlach into the maduras. It was a whole line. Like you had to wait in line. You know, the smoke's blowing one way, and all the women are coming with their wigs. And I mean, it was it was a holy moment. And they're just throwing their wigs into the fire. I'll tell you after. So, I'll tell you after. I'll tell you. So, and and it just was, the city like stunk to high hell. And but how holy are they? And and not to mention the financial loss that they think of their sacrifice. I mean, the other ladies only had to grow it to serve it to their gods. Our ladies had to drop, you know, six, seven, eight, nine grand of of wigs into the fire for our God, for the God of gods. You know, the, 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 the
Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, that was that was the sacrifice. Yeah, that's a good way. You know, normally we call them offerings. <laughs> this is this we could call the sacrifice. You know, was was these wigs. Um, but you want to hear one sad part of all of this? First of all, you could not buy a snood in any from town because they raided the stores. I mean, how are they going to get another wig so quickly? And some of them don't have any money. So they raided the stores for head coverings. And you couldn't get a head covering. My wife was lending head coverings because she doesn't wear those things. So she was lending her head coverings to all the women until they could get their next wig. Of course, why didn't they take it as a message? Why wasn't it just a message? God's t- one sec, God's telling you something. You know what they did? They covered their heads and they all had shapeless made as quickly as they could. And I, I'm just going to share one more thing. When someone feels ugly, you think it's noticeable to others? Yeah, back to the vibrational energy. Boy, is it like, I mean, you might as well just put on your forehead, I'm ugly, okay? Just, let's just get it out. Like, have you ever met a person who was obese? Like obese, but you can tell it was totally self-inflicted. This was not a metabolism thing, you know? They were just like, let's, yeah, I can't look pretty, so I'm just gonna like, you know, let, let's just make it real clear. Let's just put the billboard on, you know? Let's, let's just put a bumper sticker on my forehead, ugly, you know, right on my forehead. So let, let's just get it out already. And then they wind up having really funny personalities in general because they're, you know what I mean? They're just like, they're not playing that game and they're making it real clear they're not playing that game and so they're just going to be funny personalities. In fact, there's a world famous one, the one who won the, uh, what they win? The Israel Song Award or the Eurovision? She's one of those people. She's just like, you know, if you're ugly and you know, clap your hands. You know, she... She just went for like the full ugly deal. And, and the, you meet people like, they're really fun. I mean, they're amazing people because they're just pure personality. There's no, there's nothing but personality. There's no pretense or anything like that. Men have their versions of this. They're, they're usually like, like some freaked out piercings and like giant earlobes and like crazy tattoos that just like frighten children and stuff. They're, they're just like, why don't we just get done with this now? I'm ugly, okay? And like, now let's talk about something else. So, Jerusalem was so ugly that week. Week, it was like a month. Women were just feeling ugly. And I felt so sad for them. And my wife and I were talking about it like, these women feel ugly. And you want to know something? That was one of the biggest proofs that this was all about looks. You understand? This wasn't about, you know, because they like to say that, oh, it covers the hair better than a scarf. You know, they always get that one. It covers the hair better than a scarf. Yeah, that's nice. You know, well, they were all wearing whatever they were wearing for about a month, but they were feeling ugly. And so this was a matter of, like, feeling pretty again. You know, and, and not just for the husband. By the way, I know women, I know, I have friends whose wives have some killer killer uh, wigs and they uh, and no one's ever seen them I mean their children have seen them but when their husband comes home from work they will they will get dressed up my wife also dresses up before I come home you know they, they will dress up and they will put on their wig for their husband that's it they do not leave the house in it and it's uh, I mean I personally think it's a little weird <laughs> you know, like, did their husband say oh, well I like blondes so if you could get a blonde one, please. She's like, blonde. 
I'm, I have dark features. Like, that's weird. He's like, the bl- listen, I'm spending three grand on this thing. Blonde. Yeah. So anyway, the whole thing sounds a little strange to me. But, but there are women who do it. And they never would go outside in it. Um, anyway, but everyone just rebought them. But how weird is it that this Kabbalistic Rebbe writes on that sentence the year? I mean, it was hundreds of years ago. And he writes the year of the, of the great wig caper. Like, what's, what's up with that? Like, how, how do he know? Why did he choose not to write anything but that? It's, right, it's pretty weird that he would put that out there. On that, on that particular sentence about a, the daughter of the king's glorious within. You want to say something? No, are you suggesting that uh, Sneod is about not looking too pretty? That, that really no, not at all, not at all. God no, no, what I was saying was uh, Sneod would be one, I mean, it's about a lot of things, but one of those things and one of the core things is not drawing eyes, not drawing attention. Sneod is about not drawing attention. For example, you could be very unsneod. You're a very sneod man, by the way. You've been very sneeze. If anyone be accused of being not sneeze, it'd be me, because you know I'm always out there. You know, like like I could have issues with sneeze. You seem to be a generally naturally sneeze man, and the um, so sneeze is just about attention, and that's it. That's like kind of the main thing. And now there's obviously details to that. But okay, everyone, we're gonna cut for today. I'm sorry I didn't do it. I just sorry I. I can't just do it on command, but I could possibly do it tomorrow if you're here. We'll try again. I speak a lot about it, though. I mean, it could be I'm kind of saturated, but I don't mind. I haven't spoken about it in a couple weeks. Okay, shalom, everyone. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.